You are listening to the sermon audio from Renaissance Church. We pray that this message equips you to be formed into the image of Christ as you grow in your love of God, and it fuels you to love your neighbor as yourself. We are convinced that while this sermon audio is beneficial, this should only be supplemental and not replace local church involvement. The pastor God has put over your life or your commitment to gather in person with other believers to make more disciples for the fame of Jesus. Peace be with you. Join me in reading the word of the Lord in Hebrews chapter 7 and 8. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once and for all, when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Now the point in what we are saying is this, we have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Father, thank you so much that we no longer have to go through sinful man to get to you. We praise you because we now have your son as a perfect priest who saves us and makes us holy in your eyes so that we can dwell with you. Thank you so much that we have direct access to you through Christ. I pray that as we listen to this message today, that you would help us to learn more about you and to look more like you. We love you so much, Lord. Let all the praise and glory go to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We are continuing in our book of Exodus series. Uh, where we believe God has made himself known to be made known uh, to all people. And what you just heard read was a passage from the author of the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews 7, uh, verse 23 through chapter 8, verse uh, 7. And that is the lens that we will view today's passage through. The passage we're going to be focusing on today is, is actually Exodus chapter 28 through chapter 30, verse 10. And we've, we've said this before, 
that what is concealed in the Old Testament is now revealed in the New Testament. And today's passage is no different as we consider the priest and his clothes and his consecration ceremony. What we talked about a, a few weeks ago is that every single person who calls himself a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, are now referred to as Jesus's royal priesthood. This concept is, was commonly known and was made popular by the German reformer Martin Luther. He calls it the priesthood of all believers. Look what he writes to the Christian nobility of the German nation. He says this, there is no true, he's talking about believers here, the difference between believers and leaders in the church. There's no true basic difference between laymen and priests, between religious and secular, except for the sake of office and work, but not for the sake of status. They are all of the spiritual estate. All are truly priests, bishops and popes. And what he's saying, no matter if you are a street sweeper, or if you are the Pope himself, we are all called to be priests. And if this is true, that everybody who is saved by grace through faith, through the Lord Jesus Christ, is called to be priests, then what does that mean for us? Sure, that's a, that's a great turn of a phrase, priesthood of all believers. But what are we to do? Who are we to be? How are, are we to act? Well, I believe that this passage, Exodus 28 through chapter 30, verse 10, will help us answer these questions. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take a journey back to Mount Sinai. And we'll, we'll see this first point, that there is a high priest of the kingdom of priests. It's the first point, a high priest of the kingdom of priests. And then we'll travel to the New Testament to draw near to, second point, the great high priest of a royal priesthood. And my hope and prayer is that we would see our identity as royal priests who get to minister to others. But there's even more foundational truth I want you to walk away from the sermon with. That before you minister to others, you must first be ministered to by God. Before you minister to others, the Lord himself, Christ Jesus, must first minister to us. And I believe that we'll, we'll see this clearly both in this Exodus passage and in the New Testament passages we're going to look at today. So first, the high priest of a kingdom of priests. Let's dive in. In Exodus chapter 19, Moses writes, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among the peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. There it is. Be before we dive into the clothes of the priests in chapter 28 and the consecration of the priests in chapter 29, we must first remember that the whole nation was called to be a kingdom of priests. What do priests do? They represent God to the people and they represent the people to God. Israel was called to make God known to the nations because God had made himself known to Israel. 
But even though Israel was to represent God to the nations, Israel still needed somebody to represent them to God. Enter the priests, specifically the high priests. Look with me in chapter 28, verse 1, 2, 4, and 5. The Lord says to Moses, Then bring near to you Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him, from among the people of Israel to serve me as priests. Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu and Eleazar and Ithamar, and you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. These are the garments that they shall make a breastpiece, an ephod, a robe, a coat of checker work, a turban, and a sash. They shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, and his sons to serve me as priests. They shall receive gold, blue, purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen. See, the priests were to give attention to where they were ministering. Just as the tabernacle's image and colors directed everyone's thoughts back to Eden, the priest's garments directed everybody's thoughts and, and minds and souls towards the dwelling place of God, the tabernacle. You'll see this image pop up on the screen right now. You see the same skilled workers that built the tabernacle we see in verse 3 of chapter 28 are the same ones who make the priest's clothes. Same colors are on the priest's garments as in the temple. Blue to declare the heavens, purples to declare royalty, golds to declare holiness. We see that in verse 6. There's this turban that he wore that had the inscription, Holy is the Lord on it. And that phrase, holy is the Lord, is right on his turban, declaring that in order to stand in the Lord's presence, one must identify with the holiness of Yahweh. And then he has this ephod and linen um, that he wore over his shoulders to symbolize purity. That's why it's white you see there in the photo. And the bulk of this text, verses 6 through 30, focuses on these pieces that bore the name of Israel. You'll see it up on the shoulders and in the breastpiece. You have two precious stones, verses 6 through 14, that are on the shoulders. And then you have 12 precious stones that are on the breastpiece. They represent and have engraved the names of each of the tribes of Israel. You know what this was? This was a symbol to all the people that when the priest was entering into the presence of God on their behalf, they did not have to enter on their own and be judged on their own behalf. The high priest was meant to bear the judgment and bear the names of the people of Israel. We see this in verses 29 to 30. So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel in the breastpiece of judgment on his heart when he goes into the holy place to bring them to regular remembrance before the Lord. Thus Aaron shall bear the judgment of the people of Israel on his heart before the Lord regularly. See, this, this clothing was, a, was symbolic. It was symbolic that the priest was to bear the judgment of of Israel, but it's also protective for the priest. It even had bells. I wonder if you notice that down in verse 35. And so some of the commentators think, what, why have these bells on, on the garments? 
was so when the priests were walking around, they knew they had the right garments on. Because if they did not have the right garments on going in the most holy of holy places, they would bear their own judgment. And so if they heard the bells toll, they would be safe. It's garments for protection. And the same is true of the sin and the food offerings in chapter 29. They not only pay for the sins of the people, they pay for the sins of the priest so they can enter into the presence of God. That's why the priests were commanded in verse 19 of chapter 29 to lay their hands on the offering for it to be a visible symbol of their sin, their fears, their shame, transferring over to the sacrifice. And you see Aaron, the high priest, and his sons, the priest, they had to be washed in verse 4 before they were clothed in these garments. Why? It's because nothing that is stained, nothing that is dirty can touch these holy robes entering into the holy of holy places. And then they also have to be anointed, set apart in verse 7. We see that this first sacrifice, like we said already, is the sin purification offering in verses 10 through 14. The second sacrifice is this gift offering to be pleasing aroma to God in verses 15 to 18. But these sacrifices were not just to pay for the priest's sin. They were also part of the ordination process in verses 26. All of these special sacrifices in chapter 29 pointed to one thing. The priests were not sinless. The priests were ordinary men doing extraordinary work for God. In fact, They're not even doing the extraordinary work. God is doing the work through them to atone for the sins of the people. So the bottom line in this ordination ritual and the clothes and the ceremony, it might sound strange to all of us, but the bottom line is this. Before the priests could minister to others, the Lord must first minister to the priests. These were ordinary men working on behalf of an extraordinary God of grace and justice and mercy. And the same is true of you and I. We're just ordinary men and women who've been saved by the blood of Jesus, called to do extraordinary work for an extraordinary God. And that before we can minister to others, the Lord, Christ Jesus himself, has to minister to us. See, this kingdom of priests had a high priest. And now we as believers, we need, we need a high priest as well. We need, second point, the great high priest of a royal priesthood. As I've said already, those who've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus on the cross are now, is called what, what Israel was called. We are now a kingdom of priests or a royal priesthood. Where do do we see this in the New Testament? If you get your Bibles with you, flip open to the last book of the Bible in Revelation. To him who loves us. He's talking about Jesus right there. Chapter 1, verses 5 through 6. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom priest to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. And 1 Peter 
Peter writes to suffering Christians in the dispersia. He says, as you come to him, that's Christ, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves are like living stones being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy, say it with me, priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And later he says, but you are a chosen race, a royal, say it, priesthood a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Remember, what is a priest? It's somebody who represents God to a people and represents a people to God. This language is similar to an ambassador. And when you think about ambassadors, what, what, what do you think of? We might think of a, a U.S. delegate being sent to a country overseas, or we might think of a delegate from, from France or from Asia coming to represent their country here in the States. But what is an ambassador's main responsibility? It's to represent the, the policies and the interests of their home country wherever they serve. They're called to represent, not just in their talk of policies and interests, but how they live in other countries. We, as a royal priesthood, a kingdom of priests, are called to represent the one, Christ Jesus, who has rescued us from darkness and ushered us into his kingdom. We are to represent the policies and the interests of King Jesus, his kingdom in heaven here on earth. We're called to declare and display God's glorious grace in Christ Jesus to our neighbors and the nations because we are underneath a different king, a different political system that is ruled with equity, with justice, with grace, and with mercy. Church, we are called to be in the world, but not of it. We're called to be holy because our God is holy. And the way we can be holy is because Christ Jesus has made us holy. But many of us, when we think about this responsibility to be priests, to be ambassadors, we begin to believe this lie that that responsibility is for someone who's powerful, Someone who is strong, somebody who is well-spoken. Do you know what that sounds like? It sounds like a celebrity. The, the cult of celebrity is an interesting thing. It has this unhealthy codependency of a relationship, right? What does a, a celebrity need? Not just fans but fans who need the celebrity. And sadly, this cult of celebrity has crept into the church of Jesus Christ, where we have pastors right now creating platforms so that they can come to them. Pastors are creating platforms where they're just nice little sound bites to make people feel good. And this has sadly crept into many of our lives that when we look at the cult of celebrity in Christianity, you begin to believe that you need to be the expert. 
that you need to have all the right words in order to minister to others, that you need to have the certain type of lifestyle in order to minister to others, which leads to fear. Fear that we will never have the right words to say, fear that we'll never be good enough to minister on Christ's behalf, and fearful that will screw everything up. I mean, have you ever believed, have you ever believed that it has rests on your ability to have the right words rather than resting on the proven ability of God's word? I mean, do you tend to focus on your insufficiencies when you think about this responsibility? Or do you focus on the sufficiency of Christ alone, through grace alone, through faith alone? Or do you begin to focus on all the time it would take to lay your life down and serve your neighbors? Forgetting that Christ came to serve you and not to be served by you. Do you know what this makes it all about? You. Makes it all about me when I get into this, this rut. It puts you on the throne. You saying, I have to know it all in order to minister. I have to be able to fix it all in order to minister to others. I have to be everywhere for everyone in order to minister to others. We've, I've said this many times before, and I'll say it again. You were never meant to repent because you don't know it all, because you don't, can't fix it all, because you can't be everywhere for all. You are meant to repent because you've tried to be all those things. You're trying to be God, a functional savior for everyone around you. Only God has all those attributes. The living God alone is omniscient. The living God alone is omnipresent. The living God alone is omnipotent. See, what keeps us from going out and representing Christ to others is this lie that others need us and this lie that God needs us. God doesn't need you. God doesn't need anything. But he wants to use you. When we believe that God needs us and that others need us, this is what makes a, this type of Christianity so unattractive. It's performative, legalistic, and works righteous Christianity. That either says, you know what, I'm, I'm good enough to represent Christ to others. Or it says, I'm too sinful to represent Christ. Both are saying the same thing. My ability to represent Jesus is based on my work or lack of work. Both are anti-grace. Both views are anti-gospel. Both views are anti-Christ. See, don't you see? When I get up here to preach, I don't need you to need me. When you go out and minister to others, you don't need your neighbors to need you. We don't need our neighbors to need us. What we must see is our own need of Jesus. That's what we need. We don't need others to need us. We must see our own need of Jesus. And how will others see their need of Jesus? When they see our need 
for Jesus. You see, the priests, what we're talking about here, the author of Hebrews tells us we're just in much of need of God's mercy, grace, and forgiveness as all of the 12 tribes of Israel. They had to offer sacrifices daily, not just for, for the people's sin, but for their own sin. Chapter 29, verse 38. They had to keep the altar of incense, chapter 30, verses 1 through 10, going day in and day out. And how did the law appoint these priests? Oh, I love what the author of Hebrews says. He says in chapter 7, verse 28, For the law appoints men in their weakness as priests. I just want to let that sit in for a second. He appointed these men in their weakness as priests. God doesn't need your strength. God doesn't need your power. God doesn't need your credibility. In fact, what he loves to use is your weakness. For when you are weak, God is made strong. It's through your weaknesses that God's power is manifested, is shown off to the world. These priests were to put on and to display and declare not the goodness of themselves, but the goodness of God. These priests were to display and declare the holiness of God not how holy they are, to display the glory of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, that God has come. The priest didn't make the first step. God makes the first step to come and dwell with them. He says at the end of chapter 29, God's still meeting with Moses up on the mountain. He says, there I will meet with the people of Israel. He's saying this after the, the consecration of the priest and the clothes of the priests. There I will meet with the people of Israel and it shall be sanctified by my glory. I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. Aaron and his sons I will consecrate to serve me as priests. I will dwell. I will dwell among the people of Israel and I will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. This is our job to declare that God has come down to us because we cannot work ourselves up to him. You and I were put on this earth not to tell everybody how great we are or how great our sin is. We're put on this earth to declare how great God's grace is, his redemption is, and his mercy is in our lives. And the only way you have the confidence to do this is that you would know that you are in need. Do you know that you are in need of grace? Do you know that you are in need of mercy? That is the prerequisite to be a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the prerequisite to be this royal priesthood, to say, I'm in need and Jesus supplies all of my needs. 
Don't you see that in order to minister to others, Christ must first minister to us. See, Christ Jesus, he did not need any special garments to enter God's presence because he was already perfect. He was already perfect. He was already holy. And Jesus, like the priest, he went through a consecration, all right. He wasn't drenched and bathed in water. No, he was drenched and bathed in his own blood, in our own sin, so that we can be washed clean of our sin. Jesus wasn't robed, but he was disrobed of all of his clothes. He was mocked and he was scorned so that his robes of righteousness, like Aaron's robes to his sons, can be passed on to us. We get to wear his robes of righteousness through faith and it covers all of our shame. And Jesus was anointed, not with oil, but with a crown of thorns so that we, through faith in his life, death, and resurrection, can be anointed by his presence. We become the dwelling place of God where the Spirit of God now dwells. It's through faith that Jesus gives us these garments as priests so we can enter into the presence of God unharmed. When we wear the clothes of Christ, we have nothing to fear because God's love is declared for us in Christ Jesus and we walk out of God's presence unharmed because just as priests bore the name of Israel, bore the judgment of Israel, Christ Jesus bears our name. He bears our judgment on the cross. We just sang, he is the great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while as he stands in heaven, no tongue can bid me thence depart. God will never leave us. God will never forsake us. It's because Jesus is the right hand of God. He will always remember us. And Jesus did not even have to offer a sacrifice for his own sins because he was sinless. But he who knew no sin became sin so that we can become the righteousness of God. Hebrews 7, 26 through 27. Let me remind you what it says. For indeed, it was fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once and for all when he offered up himself. Jesus is the great high priest who is also the innocent Lamb of God who offered himself up so that you and I could be remembered by God and our sins can be forgiven and remembered no more. Now we get to dwell with God. And now that Christ is resurrected, he is now interceding for us. Interceding for us right now. That through this one high priest, we as his disciples and his followers are now called to be a royal priesthood. He's interceding for you right now as you represent God to the world. He's interceding for you right now so that we can shine the light of his holiness into a dark world about the good news that makes us clean and that continually makes us clean. How do we minister to others? 
How do we become priests to others? It's the first to see our need to be ministered to by the great high priest, Jesus. And when you are ministered to by Christ through his word and through prayer, you'll drop the confidence in yourself and put your confidence in Christ to do the work in you and through you. It gives us the right motivation to go work on Christ's behalf. That we know that we did nothing to earn this standing before God, which means we can do nothing to earn other people standing before God. It's Christ and Christ alone. We go out and serve others because Christ has now come down to us. We go and serve our neighbors because Christ has come to serve us first. We invite others to come and see not us, but come and see this Christ who has ministered to us and can minister to them. Friends, it wasn't your work that saved you. And it's not going to be your work that saves others around you. It's Christ in him alone. And we believe in this word that works. The gospel of Christ Jesus, where he came to save sinners to the uttermost, among whom we are the foremost. So I invite you, step into your weakness so you can see God's power displayed. To not focus on your insufficiencies, but focus on the sufficiency of Jesus. I invite you not to focus on your ability, but Christ's ability not just to work in others. Do others need Jesus? Absolutely. But I pray that they see their need of Jesus as you display your need of Jesus. Friends, before we can minister to others, we must let Christ minister to us. Let's be that royal priesthood who declare the excellencies of Christ, who has called us out of darkness, and into his marvelous light. Would you pray with me? Father, we praise you. We praise you for passages like this. We praise you that your entire Bible is one.